course. Uh, this was not your first rally and, and first rodeo with Donald Trump. You've seen others. Uh, put this one into context. Of my sense and in, 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 in feeling out some other people who were there that I don't want to say jump the shark to use that phrase, but that, that uh, maybe in terms of big Trump rallies, we've seen the biggest and it wasn't this one down in Perry. You're exactly right. I've been to dozens of, of Trump rallies. This was probably the smallest I've, I've been to. There's a few thousand people there, but not the, the not the huge crowds of 20,000, 30,000 that, that I'm kind of used to seeing at these events. And it was much more of a fringe crowd in terms of their perspective on elections. You know, there's a lot of people who were, there's, I would say there's fewer families there. There was, I, I'm used to seeing a lot more kids, a lot more um, you know, a lot more sort of mainstream Republicans. In this case, you saw a lot of folks who were wearing Stop the Steal shirts, who were, who were, who were, you know, using expletives about Joe Biden. There, there was, there was a lot. It was a lot more raucous element to this crowd. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw a conclusion based on what you just told me, and then tell me how wrong I might be, or maybe even I'm right. But my sense is that could and just take everything you just said. That could, in a way, bode well for people like, oh, I don't know, Governor Brian Kemp, who's out there seeking a second term. If if those people who were so adamant about the stolen election uh, and 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 fighting tooth and nail to the rear guard action for what happened in 2020, if those people, as loud as they've always been, if they are becoming shall we say, less voluminous in terms of numbers, uh, wouldn't that bode well for Brian Kemp in 2020, just in terms of, of shoring up the Republican Party, never mind what happens with the Democrats? You're exactly right. It, it, it could bode well for him. But, but the question is, does the tail wag the dog at this mm. point, right? Does the fact that Republican officials who are running for office are still just so fearful of getting on, on, on President Trump's wrong side? Um, does, does that still dominate? And what we're seeing right now among statewide candidates and even in candidates for down-ticket races is that sort of, you know, loyalty above all to the former president. And even those who, 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 who accept the fact that Joe Biden won this election are still talking about um, some of the issues, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're still repeating these, these, these false claims of widespread voting fraud and, and still looking back more in 2020 and looking ahead to 2022, and that's the exact same thing we were talking about ahead of the runoffs, is that if, if, if Republicans are more focused on what happened in November and less focused on January, they're going to be in trouble in January. Now you have that same focus, that same fear for Republicans about November 2022, that there's too much looking back at 2020 and, and not enough focus on 2022. Uh, the book is flipped, how Georgia turned purple and broke the monopoly on Republican power due out in March of next year. Greg Bluestein, AJC political insider. We'll get to that book in a moment. Just a couple of things quickly. Uh, the governor's race, I, I say this, again, tell me if I'm wrong here. Every day that Stacey Abrams isn't running for governor seems to me another day more likely that she doesn't run for governor. So certainly another day she's lost out there on the campaign trail. What's up with Stacey Abrams? Yeah, I'm the opposite of you. <laughs> um, I, I think she's I think she's going to run. Um, I think that every day she doesn't run is more of a sign. She probably will run because mm. there's no other alternative who's even, not, a, not only is there no other alternative who's, who's talking publicly about it, but no other alternative is really whispering behind the scenes to folks like me and you that, mm. hey, I could run if Stacey doesn't, which means that it, to me at least it's more more likely she is going to run. Uh, I was just with her a few days ago in San Antonio where she launched her national tour and avoided all the talk about 2022, but, but also said very clearly that 
that she believes that she needs to stay in the political arena. Um, and, and doing such means staying in the middle of the conversation. So she's definitely doing that because people like me and you were talking yeah. about her. But yeah. Democrats do not have a plan B right now. There's not a ready plan B. There's not like a, you know, uh, a candidate waiting in the wings to run if she doesn't. Instead, they'd have a lot of chaos. Uh, Twitter lost its mind for a few minutes yesterday. Uh, we got a first look at maps, uh, congressional maps that uh, are proposed by a legislative committee that's going to deal with redistricting, the special session on redistricting set for the, the first week of November set to start then. It shows us uh, 14 district maps as reimagined, uh, at least for the moment. Now, I'm saying this about that. This, to me, is like a, a mock draft ahead of the NFL draft. It's something for people like you and me to talk about. I, I don't think I, I don't even want to get into the weeds of this because I don't think there's much reason to think that any of this is carved into stone. You're exactly right. Um, th- this is this is the draft of of the maps produced by Senate Republicans, including Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who is in all effect a lame duck lieutenant governor. It doesn't mean he has no power. It just means that his influence is is somewhat diminished in the in the in the state capital. Um, and I think this is a starting point. I think I think that you know Senate lawmakers could still make changes to this, and certainly the House will have its say, and the governor will have his say. Um, but there are a lot of interesting things here that could, I think, end up um, uh, becoming true, which one of them is I think that I, I've always kind of thought it's more likely Republicans go after Lucy McBath's district, which is which right now spans from Cobb to uh, through, through Fulton to North of Cab, than they do targeting Carolyn Bordeaux's district, which now is parts of Gwinnett and Forsyth County, it seems it always seemed more likely that, that Lucy McBath would be the more vulnerable Democrat than Carolyn Bordeaux. Again, the book, Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power, Finishing Stages of Writing and Editing. Now, due out in March of next year, Greg Bluestein, AJC Political Insider, the author. This would be a really short book if I wrote it. There'd be two chapters. There would be the one chapter on the changing demographics. Chapter two would be about all those Republicans who stayed home in both November and January. That'd be about it. What else? I know you got to write a bigger book. What else are you writing about? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm kind of tracing, because remember, this is for a national audience as well, and for a local audience, and so I'm kind of tracing the evolution of, of Georgia through three, three, cha- three sections. Uh, one is reminding folks of, of, of all the fun from the, uh, the last uh, cycle, from 2017 to 2018. Um, you know, we lived through it, so we tend to forget, but the secret tapes, the, the Stacy vs. Stacey, uh, you know, the... The, the Kempfers, Abrams at the end, the rallies, all the drama, the, la- the late Trump endorsement, all the dr- ra- uh, drama uh, that went into that election, and it really paved the way for what we saw in 2020. And then, of course, as you mentioned, not just the general election, but, but I also go through the entire runoff phase where, yes, um, a lot of uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands probably, of Republicans stayed home rather than vote because of, in part because they were urged to by, by President Trump saying that there was a rigged election, so some of them thought, why bother? But also, Democrats had to do their part. They had to kind of stay on message. They had to, they had to run what, uh, they had to play what, what a lot of Republican strategists said was the perfect game, 
in order to uh, to pull off these upsets. And I would say this, too. I would add this, Greg Bluestein, and maybe you do. I'm sure you do get to this in the book. There's a completely different election just logistically uh, with all of the absentee ballots, the mail-in ballots, uh, pandemic-related drop boxes, all the rest of it. I- I've said this, uh, and taking as best we can the partisan aspect out of this, you basically have a contest, and the rules have changed in the contest. Anytime that happens, one side is going to do better than the other. One side is going to adjust better than the other. My estimation, it's impossible to say the Republicans hand it well, uh, handled it well. It, it's, it's disingenuous to say that the Democrats didn't. They were the ones who made the adjustments and the Republicans failed to. Yeah, you're on, you're on fire this morning because you're <laughs> right. Look, you know, part of the problem that the Republicans faced was all this questioning about from, from President Trump and his allies about absentee ballots. Meanwhile, Democrats were taking advantage uh, of, of absentee ballots from the get-go, whereas you know, all, all this national uh, backlash to mail-in voting really, I think, put a damper on it. It was really hard uh, when, when absentee voting, I remember during the runoffs, when Mike Pence came to town and was trying to tell uh, Republican voters at a rally up in Forsyth uh, to, to, to plunge in, right, to, to, to aggressively go and tell their friends that they're not voting to mail in, and he got booed. So, <laughs> so Democrats were able to, 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 to take advantage of of the, the existing election laws much more readily than Republicans were. Uh, Greg Bluestein, again, the book due out in March, uh, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power Flipped is the name of the book. Uh, Greg Bluestein, best of luck with that book. We'll talk again, I'm sure. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you.